Life Out Loud is a literary nonfiction podcast series that features real student stories. Born in a John Jay College creative nonfiction writing classroom in the fall 2015 semester, Life Out Loud seeks to diversify the perspectives typically shared in the CNF genre. Our project aims to amplify voices seldom heard through artful truth-telling simply because we believe that all stories matter. We make them, and they make us. You can always listen at lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Hi there, and welcome to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true, stories. I'm Christina, one of your hosts tonight. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca, and I'm very excited to be back with you all this season. This season, we have several new students joining us as hosts for the very first time. Hi again, everyone. I'm Karen. And yes, as Rebecca said, this is an all-new season with all-new people. My name is Natalie. Hi, everyone. And my voice sounds familiar. It's because I was featured. I was a featured art. Mm. I don't know if you guys heard that. I'm sorry. Um, My name is Natalie. Hi, everyone. If my voice sounds familiar, it's because I was a featured art author last season who wrote the story Los Lentes. It's wonderful to be back here at a hosting capacity. Hello, I'm Max. This is my first episode as host, and it's a joy to be here. Hello, everyone. I'm Jade. I'm also a new host this season and a featured author on this very episode. Hi, everybody. I'm Ashley. After our usual summer break, we're back and ready to get into this episode. And I'm Brianna. As Ashley said, if you're joining our big virtual roundtable tonight, this is the very first episode of our eighth season entitled finding my place. And I'm Tatiana. In this episode, our authors explore the different avenues their lives have taken in an attempt to find their place in the world. This first story is by a new author to the podcast, Jade Hamilton. Jade is a senior at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She was born in New York and raised in Virginia and South Carolina, so she has the heart of a Southerner with the pace of a native New Yorker. She is majoring in English with a minor in gender studies and a sideline fantasy of being a writer. She has the aspiration of continuing her education in English literature to eventually become a college professor. When she's not writing her own life story, her hobbies include spending hours playing Sims 4, listening to music, and trying new food spots with her friends. This story actually won an award at John Jay's English Department Awards for Best Piece of Creative Nonfiction. Let's take a listen to Jade's piece entitled Cigarette Vignettes. I come from a long line of smokers. My mother preferred marble menthol shorts. She always said that she could never finish the hundreds and she didn't want to waste her money. She smoked in silence, sitting in her car in our driveway. The first cigarette I smoked, I was 12. I stole one from her pack and smoked in the back seat. The first pull was hot, the burn singeing its memory into my lungs. I put it out faster than I had smoked. Shame burning hotter in my chest than the smoke, but I knew I would try again. Somehow the pain felt like love, and I wondered if my mother felt the same. My one-sided secret pulled me closer to her. I smoked for the both of us, hoping she would spend less time in the car and she would feel my love in the form of a marble. I traded stolen marbles for Newport 100s by 14. I felt cool smoking in between classes or waiting for the school bus. 
Sometimes I could get away with buying them at the Speedway, but most of the time I couldn't. My best friend and I would wait in front of gas stations and go up to old men whose eyes would linger a little too long at our legs. We would use our sweet voices to woo them into buying us Newports with the small reward of a hug or a kiss on the cheek. We would watch, holding our breaths, waiting for them to return empty-handed, their eyes filled with prideful admonishment. But it never came. I guess the allure of underage girls was enough compensation for our shared crime. My friend in high school stole a bunch of cigarette cartons from our local food lion when I was 15. The cashier watched him reach behind the counter and grab carton after carton, but never stopped him. Maybe because he was white, or maybe because $7.25 an hour didn't inspire heroics. I didn't care. I was sick of skipping lunch to save for cigarettes, and the men at the 7-Eleven made me uncomfortable. He spread out our prize in the backseat of Big Bertha, and the glee felt like childhood. Happiness was in short supply, and each cigarette was a tiny dose of joy. At the end, all we were left with were cartons of Virginia Slims that tasted like dust and left me with a tingle of fulfillment in my lungs. I was 15 when my mother kicked me out. I had spent the last few months trying to drink and smoke my way back into her care. Rebellion was my way to grab her attention, to remind her that I was still here and I still loved her. But she could only see her own failures reflected in my actions. Instead of acknowledging my cries for help, for her love, she shut me out. I thought the move was a temporary solution to the oppressive silence that had consumed our relationship. She drove me out to Petersburg to catch the Amtrak train, which I would take on spring and summer break to spend with my grandmother. We laughed and listened to music like we hadn't spent the last six months pretending we were strangers forcibly occupying one space. I had smoked behind the apartments we shared and said goodbye to the only life I knew. She knew what I was doing, but she didn't have the energy to care, nor did I have the energy to pretend to be the child she wanted. As we waited for my train, we shared a cigarette. Let me bum one, she said. I haven't had a Newport in years. We sat on the trunk of her car, smoking together in silence. And when I boarded the train, she didn't smile or wave from the platform. She didn't wait for the train to leave the station, and when she left, she took a piece of me that clung on her shirt like the smell of our shared smoke clung to mine. When I was 17, my grandmother let me smoke cigarettes on the porch. Maybe she gave up pretending like I wasn't smoking in the bathroom, or maybe she was trying to teach me that the first steps into adulthood are harmful. Her lessons came a little too late. Early summer mornings were my favorite time of day. South Carolina blooms, the air filled with a mix of floral and sweat and the grass is slick with morning dew. I would make my coffee with her, making small talk over the morning news and which one of her Farmville crops needed to be harvested. I would sit on the crumbling stone steps, the loose pebbles protesting my presence by leaving imprints on my thighs. I would watch the trail of ants on their morning commute, transporting stray crumbs to the nest that lay hidden in the sand-laden grass. I would meld with the sound of the wind swishing through the lilac flowers that bloomed on the ivy. Each day, the flowers would spread up the fresh green, bringing new color to a stagnant town. I closed my eyes, and in each inhale, tasted like spring. By 21, Cigarettes had become my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
I would think back to high school and our lessons about addiction, but dare fail to mention that it's not the nicotine you're addicted to. It's the soft symphony of harmful substances serenading you into a false utopia. At least I told myself I was being led by a benevolent force to ignore how willful I was to my own demise. It excused my complacency that I had renamed as bad luck. It was bad luck that kept me in a shit job making DIY pizzas for stuck-up tourists and privileged drunks who would party at bars and vomit in our bathrooms. It was bad luck that forced me into a shit apartment and gave me shit friends who would pretend to care just long enough to talk about themselves. Smoking was the only good thing left in my life, and I clung to every puff and sank deeply into its thrall. During my lunch breaks, I would smoke in the parking lot next to my job, tucked away from the steady flow of tourists taking in all the carefully curated parts of 28th and 5th Ave. I couldn't help but think, when did it turn out like this? What do I do if my only source of happiness came from a 30-minute smoke break in between the chaos my life had become? I needed to smoke, to feel anything other than panic. I wanted to pack in as much smoke in my lungs before I had to clock back in and pretend that I wasn't drowning in the smell of tomato sauce, mozzarella cheese, and poor decisions. So I smoked. I smoked until I couldn't breathe, until my eyes stung, until my chest burned, but I couldn't blame the cigarettes. I blamed the years of neglect before my body could even begin to grow. I blamed my mother for teaching me to silence my sadness and smoke. I blamed my friends for teaching me the thrill of a sneaky smoke. I blamed my grandmother for letting me envision spring in the sparks of the cherry. And I blamed myself for planting my youth in an ashtray and crying at the dust that stained my garden. Oh, so good. Oh my so, god, that is so that was amazing. amazing. Thank you, thank you. I loved it. I loved that was it. Amazing. That last line, I'm gonna like get into it later. But that last line, just beautiful. Great. So Jade, I'm really excited to be working with you this semester and to be um able to talk to you about your story today. When I was reading it, I was wondering how you came up with the structure of the story because I found it so clever that each piece pertained to a different memory you had about cigarettes and smoking. Uh, did you set out to write it in that format? Did you come up with it as you reflected on the memories or did you get the idea maybe after you went through a couple of drafts? Um, so I got the idea based off of a story that I read for um, Kristen's class last semester about beds and it just kind of came up like naturally, like I had written um, most of it the first go around, um, just like whatever was coming off of my brain. Um, and like, I just tried to think of like something that would anchor like all of my ages. And since I started smoking cigarettes really young, I had like a story that pertained with like cigarettes and like my life. Oh. I love that though. I love the way you say anchor, something that would anchor. That's a great turn of phrase for this device. I like, I, I don't know. Cause I've, I've always just kind of written about like my life in different ways. Um, so writing the first draft was pretty easy. It was like after where I had to add a little bit more information where like it was a little hard. Yeah. 
So when I first read your story, I originally thought the piece would be about multiple loves because of the quote, somehow the pain felt like love at the beginning. As I read it, it felt more like it was about the love you felt for your mother and the feeling that the love you were receiving back was never without the presence of pain. This is particularly illustrated in the moment where you are traveling together and it feels like a happy normal time, but that is also kind of haunted by the fact that she is sending you to to Pittsburgh instead of facing the problems you both have through communication. I wanted to ask if there were other moments you wanted to intertwine or like write into the story, but didn't. Um, the shortness of your pieces did add to the impact. And I just wanted to know if there were other moments you considered including to expand your theme that maybe you like didn't feel comfortable writing about or maybe remembered later on after you finished your um, paper. So um, it was Petersburg in Virginia. Um, so like that's where we would, uh, it's where the Amtrak station is located. So I would go there all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was weird, like looking back on it because it was a moment where it felt normal between us and our relationship wasn't normal at all during that time. Um, I had like, I struggled with deciding how much I wanted to add into the story and what I didn't want to. Cause like there is a fine line between like too personal and like nonfiction, creative nonfiction. So there was plenty of other situations that I wanted to add into the story. Like I had a lot of fun things, obviously being young and not having a lot of adult supervision led to me having a bunch of stories like that. But if I kept adding, it would have gone like it would have been four or five stories for every year. So I just tried to pick out the ones that felt the most impactful in my life. That's cool. That's super cool. Yeah. You put all those stories together. You have an autobiography going on. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> I have always said that I wanted to write my own little like mini autobiography just for myself because I have had like some crazy like stories mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes just even thinking back on it I'm like wow this would make a really good book like this would make a really good chapter because this is I would read it insane yeah it, <laughs> it's crazy I'm sure like for some stuff the statue of limitations has passed so I can like freely <laughs> oh. I, can, I can freely enter it but yeah it has been on my mind that's too relatable and um speaking about like all of these other stories like do you so so that last sentence that I was talking about before like I blame myself for planting my youth in an ashtray and crying at the dust that stained my garden and then also earlier like uh where you're talking about your mom and you say like when she left she took a piece of me that clung on her shirt like the smell of our shared cigarette smoke clung to mine those poetic moments like I I guess my question originally I was just kind of like saying this as a comment that they're just just like incredible and beautiful and very artful and uh like how loaded these very short sentences are that you make but I guess my more broader question is if you kind of view your stories in that way or if like in this eventual autobiography or writing of more stories if you write in that poetic 
way or would write in that poetic way or if that's kind of like how you view things or how I guess your view translates into your writing wow oh my gosh um it's kind of like um when I first started writing it was all just like stream of consciousness and that's just kind of how my brain is I'm a little over dramatic so I think it <laughs> it relates um to like my writing style like making my life into a fantasy and I think partially like I romanticize my language a little because some of the subject matter is not like romantic or lovely or like soft it's like actually hard like emotional moments so I think me making it poetic it lightens it a little um it's easier for not just only like me to write it down where like it doesn't feel like I'm talking to a therapist and like easier for whoever's reading or listening right. to like emotionally connect without feeling like they're being like trauma dumped on yeah mm. yeah mm -hmm. yes. makes sense yeah yeah it, it's like you're saying like hear me instead of like can you believe this you know yeah like I don't want it to feel like I'm like oh, and then when I was 15 <laughs> <Right>. like <laughs> hear um, me instead of help me or something yeah I don't want it to be like a, a like a pity thing either like yeah. like if a I woe is me yeah mm. like it's more of like this is what happened but this is like the beauty of like the ugly situation can I, can I ask where do you get your inspiration from oh gosh like, um, is it from like other novels poetry any authors in mind or it's just like your natural talent <laughs> something about natural <laughs> talent my skin crawl yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it started when I was in high school I took like my first creative fiction class and I really connected with poetry I think like all uh, melodramatic high school like girls are really really into poetry mm -hmm. and like that's their outlet and <laughs> their emotions um, but it's just something it's like shows up in all of my creative writing styles that I just like the poetic turn on things um also like I think as an English major and being so like focused on reading like classic literature and like classic poetry and sonnets that also influences my language a little mm -hmm. so going back to what we were kind of talking about a little bit before in the sense of how you mentioned that you have a lot of different life experience that you mm -hmm. can draw from and I know you mentioned that because you were smoking from such a young age that it you find it as an anchor almost in some of your writing um I'm kind of curious how you came to pick these cigarette moments particularly for the story that you want to do um so how exactly did you decide that these were the ones that you can work with and how did you find the comfort necessary to share these stories with your readers so I usually write about like if I'm writing about something emotional, I will choose something that I'm would be comfortable telling a stranger. Mm -hmm. So it started off with like, I guess kind of lighthearted things like me smoking in the backseat of my mom's car. Like um, I was like by myself. I was terrified. I was sweating. It was like hot outside, but I had the door shut and the windows up. And I like I found humor in the fact that I'm like 
sneaking in the back seat and I took one little pull and it was hot and I coughed and I was so panicked at the thought of like my mom smelling the smoke like in her car and realizing it wasn't her. So like I started with what I thought would be the most humorous and then like worked into what would be like the saddest. Um, but the story is just kind of like the whole thing just started randomly. It was just what was in my head as I was like typing out the story. I just want to say that that's a really good tactic. This idea of like uh, making the audience laugh with you and then getting more tragic. Um, the idea is that first of all, it cuts down on the pity. Like people are just with you laughing along mm -hmm. and they, so they inherently begin to care about you. When you mm -hmm. laugh together, you feel like you know someone. So if you can laugh with the audience and the author together, like, right, you feel like you get to know them. So then you care when something bad happens to them. But also like, if you're up here laughing, it's like the further to fall when like the gut-wrenching stuff happens and you're like, ooh. Mm -hmm. So that was a very smart device. I just want to say, Jade. Maybe well, not you, a device, you. but strategy. <laughs> It makes you almost want to like root on the character because you know we yeah. we see them happy and then you relate to the happiness and then they fall down. You're like, God, I want to see them get back to that point. And it makes you like feel more encouraged to do that. No, it really does. It I feel like it made the story more impact impactful for me. Yeah, I feel like way too many stories start at that point where it's like you, they throw you right into the drama and you're like, I don't care yet. Like I don't even know who you are. <laughs> I really felt attached like right away. I wanted to ease everybody into the drama. Yep. <laughs> you got me. You have to. Or or it just seems melodramatic. Most definitely. Um I can say like this story is very different from the ones like I've read before um in this podcast. Like just you took like just a different approach in your storytelling. It's very unique. I love it. And like you just show like an extreme amount of vulnerability in the story. Like, especially as you like gradually mentioned how like as time goes on, you're just smoking more and more. And it's just like to the point where like it's like consuming your life. And I just want to like praise you for your honesty and for your like truthful storytelling and um for symbolizing that in each sentence of the story like it was just amazing honestly oh my gosh thank um, you i'm blushing here <laughs> <laughs> in your story you emphasize um numerous times how your sole source of consolation was just the burning sensation you would get from smoking and that if your mother had given you real you know actual care you wouldn't have turned to smoking for happiness Given this, do you have any advice for young people who are now experiencing something similar and turning to smoking or using drugs? And what are other methods that the youth can resort to when it comes to relieving stress, anger, and frustration? Ooh, this is a hard question. Um, especially because I've um, worked in a high school recently and a lot of the students I was working with um, were struggling with like their own personal issues and they were resorting to like drug and alcohol use um I think the hard thing about it because like at the end of the day like it is an addiction and it is filling like a need it is your way to cope with like hard emotions 
the only thing that really helped me was having like a support group and a support system. And those, you may come across it very young or you may like in your early twenties find it. Um, so I don't really know if I have any like good, like words of wisdom for people who are struggling emotionally and they're finding comfort. I think the only thing I would tell them is like the safest way to take care of yourself. Well, in like this time well how about this what would be one piece of advice you tell your younger self ah oh my gosh um oh my gosh it's gonna be better one day sweetheart I think that's <laughs> the I think that's the biggest thing like I think the my younger me like I was just so focused in the fact that like nothing in my life would change and that I, I would always have like a dependency to something Mm -hmm. um but I would just tell myself like it's gonna get better like you're not always gonna smoke you're not always gonna have to like fill your like pain with something else like it will it'll get better that was amazing I love that yes yeah. it was like wow that's a great piece of wisdom <laughs> um what if anything would you like listeners to take away from the story oh um I think I would just want like all of the listeners to know that like life and healing and growth is a roller coaster and you'll have your ups and you'll have your downs but at the end of it if you like keep fighting for this like vision that you have for yourself for this dream that you have for yourself like you'll eventually be on the path that you want to be and that you won't be so reliant on like the things that harm you. So mm -hmm. nicely done. Thank, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for your story. Thank we you. really much enjoyed it. And we yes, uh, thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Of course. This next story is by a new author to the podcast, Kesley Paulino Martinez. Kesley is a 24-year-old English major at John Jay College with a minor in digital media and journalism. She has her associate's degree in criminal justice and was recently a computer science major before deciding to change to English during the spring 2023 semester. It was the best decision she ever made. Kesley has always loved writing, but never had the confidence to pursue a career in writing and to learn to better hone this craft. Once she switched majors, she realized she never wants to do anything other than write. In her free time, Kesley likes to spend time with her friends and go on adventures to explore new places in the city. She also loves to explore new fashion trends and push herself outside her comfort zone. When she's not at school, working, or hanging out with friends, Kesley can be found on her couch watching rom-coms or Jersey Shore and spending time with her family. Her friends say she's the poly D of their friendships, which, to her, is the greatest compliment. Let's take a listen to Kesley's piece entitled, My Room. Room 1, The Sequel, 2661 Decatur Avenue, Bronx, New York, January 21st, 2023. The princess is here, I shout as I take off my shoes and slide my work bag off my shoulder, walking into my parents' second floor apartment. I breathe a sigh of relief as the pressure is alleviated off my back 
and my sock-clad feet finally make contact with the cold hardwood floor. This feels like heaven after working an eight-hour shift serving at the IHOP in Teaneck, New Jersey, and the almost two-hour bus trip home. I drag my feet as I walk into the living room. Hello, mother, I say as I kiss her on the cheek. Father, I say as I nod at him and dodge the pillow he throws at me. My dad hates when I greet them so formally. I find it hilarious. I laugh and proceed to my room to put down my work bag and jacket, stopping in the hallway to put my white Crocs on the shoe rack outside the door. As I stand in the room, prepping to shower and rid myself of the sweat after a long morning, my eyes wander around the room. In it sits a full-size loft bed that my 16-year-old little brother Tristan sleeps in. It towers over me and my twin-size bed even though I'm 24 years old. My makeup and jewelry is a cluttered mess on top of the beige nightstand. My plastic containers holding my pants under the bed. My blue drawer with my pajamas. My school bag in the windowsill. The shelf hidden behind the curtain with my hair products and perfumes. My brother's closet full of his clothes with two or three of my hoodies thrown in. His jackets hanging behind his door. The chair he uses to play video games in the middle of the room. His playstations and pop figures smushed together on top of the white drawer in front of the TV. A clear yet failed attempt at separating the room and giving each of us our own space without one person overtaking the room fully. I can't believe this room went from being my room for 22 years to being Tristan's room. It feels weird and wrong being in this room again, yet so much has changed. The blue walls are now gray. My paintings, white tapestry, and graduation cap no longer hang on the wall. The walls are now bare except for Tristan's favorite jersey now hanging in his place. It's no longer a girl's room, but instead the room of a 16-year-old boy. Tristan no longer comes into this room just to play video games. We share this space now. I sit on my bed once I have stripped down to my panties and bra, feeling out of place. This is not my room. This is Tristan's room. I'm just a guest here. Room 1, the original, 2661 Decatur Avenue, Bronx, New York, September 31st, 2021. I am laying in my twin-sized bed, staring at the blue wall of my bedroom, my best friend Janelle talking about God knows what. I tend to zone her out when she starts on her rampages after she smokes. I hear a knock on the wall, my parents' way of calling me without having to yell my name. Coming, I yell as I jump off the bed. I have to go. I'm watching a movie with my parents tonight, I tell Janelle, hanging up before she has the chance to interject. I skip to the living room, plopping down next to my dad. I instantly regret it as he starts pinching my arm and leg. Why do I do this to myself? Tristan walks into the room then, as if he knew we were about to start the movie without him. I got my jersey today, he says excitedly, reaching into his bag and throwing the red and white jersey at me. I snatch it up before my dad gets the chance to grab it and put it on. My boy is officially a football player now, my dad says proudly, as if he doesn't hate the fact that he is playing the dangerous sport. He hands me his game schedule for the year. Damn it, I can't go to his Halloween game. I have plans for the weekend with Janelle. I can go to all of your games except for Halloween, I tell him, handing my dad the sheet. Why can't you go to the game on Halloween, my dad asks. I'm staying in a hotel in the city with Janelle for Halloween weekend, I tell him. It isn't a big deal. At least it shouldn't be. I'm 22 years old, have a stable job, and pay my own bills. This isn't the first time I have gone somewhere for the weekend. He looks at me, 
his eyebrows nodding together and his nose scrunching up, a clear signal he didn't like what he heard and is getting mad. If you go anywhere that weekend, you will come home to find your shit outside the door, he tells me in a calm tone. Why couldn't he just yell at me? That calm tone lets me know he is serious. Room 1, the sequel. 2661 Decatur Avenue, Bronx, New York. January 21st, 2023. I can't believe I'm back here. Now having no choice but to share a room with my little brother because I unexpectedly had to move back home. After 15 months of being gone, I'm back at my parents' place. Don't get me wrong, our relationship is a million times better now. No more arguments and they're finally accepting that I'm an adult now. I'm not a 16-year-old kid like Tristan or even 19 like Julian. I'm 24 years old now. I lean back in bed, stretching my legs and wiggling my toes in the air. Being here is better than where I was though, that's for sure. I have moved around more in the last 15 months than I have in my whole life. I look around the room in a daze. What was I doing again? Room 2, 2460 Grand Ave, Bronx, New York. October 1st, 2021 to November 1st, 2021. The sound of the alarm screaming wakes me up. I look up as Ray untangles himself from my legs and gets out of bed, heading to the brown drawer to grab his clothes to shower and get ready for work. I sit up and smile at him. Good morning, he says, kissing me on the cheek before securing his clothes under his arm and heading to the bathroom. I look around the room, if you can even call it that. The flimsy white curtains creating a makeshift wall between us, the kitchen, and the living room. The glass TV stand holding the flat screen TV. Surrounded by Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Ray's little knickknacks. The brown tall drawers where I know there's a drawer full of my clothes and half of my things strewn amongst the top of it mixed in with his. My eyes land on his phone. He must have forgotten it. I shouldn't touch it. We broke up five months ago, but we have been in this horrid situationship since. It is hard moving on and giving up on a relationship you had with someone for over a year and a half. He always gave me comfort, hence why he was the first person I called when my parents kicked me out, and how I ended up living with him a month later. Against my better judgment, I grabbed the phone, keying in his password. To my surprise, it actually goes through. I shouldn't be doing this, but I do, and God do I regret it. Denise. Fucking Denise. The girl he has been kind of seeing rests in his pinned messages. Her picture resting next to my own. The only two messages pinned. I can't stop myself at this point, and I click on the messages. I scroll through for what feels like hours. Really, it was only seconds before I find something that destroys me. They had sex. Sex. While he was coming home, sleeping with me, cuddling with me, and having sex with me, he was having sex with her. When he told me he was at the card shop with the guys, he was really at a hotel having sex with her. The tacos he brought me that night weren't just because tacos, as he made it seem. Instead, they were guilt tacos. Guilt tacos. Ray walks in, drying his hair. I work until four today. I should be here and know, what the fuck are you doing? He snatches his phone out of my hand as I feel my heart break for what feels like the millionth time since May. I look at him, tears streaming down my face. You had sex with her, then brought me tacos and slept with me. I stand up, the anger rising in me. We broke up, Kesley. That hasn't changed. 
I look at him incredulously. You weren't saying that when you were fucking me every night or sleeping in my arms every night. I whisper yell, trying not to wake up his parents seeing as it is 7 a.m. I think you need to leave, Kesley. Pack up your shit and be out of my house by the time I get home from work. <sighs> Room 1. The sequel. 2661 Decatur Avenue, Bronx, New York. January 21st, 2023. I sit up in bed, rubbing my chest as if the pain I felt that day is back. As if it hasn't already been over a year since this all happened. I haven't spoken to Ray in over a year now. I regret ever living with him, but I had nowhere else to go. At the time, he was all I had. I had no friends and didn't have a relationship with my family due to the circumstances. I was also in love with him. That was the man I thought I would marry one day. Kesley, why haven't you gotten in the shower yet? Dinner's almost ready. So párate sucia y bañate. My mom says, closing the door behind her. She's right. I feel disgusting. I need to go shower. The moment the door closes, I lean my head against the wall, trying to fight the tears that threaten to rise. I have had such a hard year. 2022 was quite honestly one of the worst years of my life. I should probably go shower now before mom comes back and yells at me again. Body hurts. Brain tired. I just need five more minutes, then I'll go. I promise. Room 3. 2925 Grand Concourse Avenue, Bronx, New York. November 1st, 2021 to April 3rd, 2022. I lay in bed, the room completely dark just the way I like it. I hate this room. With these yellow walls that remind me of Kraft mac and cheese, the picture frame of my older cousin that my aunt refuses to let me put away watching me, my clothes shoved in a closet and brown dresser, my rolling rack with my toiletries shoved between them, and my shoe rack pressed against the wall. I hear my roommates talking outside and their kids running around wreaking havoc. Did I say I hate this room? I hate it so much. I avoid being here as much as possible. If I'm not at work at the health club at the Columbia on 96th Street or Bronx Community College for class, I'm at a bar or club shaking my ass and drinking my liver away. Sometimes I go to my cousin Rafi's house and hang out with his girlfriend Melissa and the kids. Anything is better than being here. I close my eyes and try to sleep. As I am finally falling asleep, I hear my bedroom door open. I open my eyes confused to see Lady, one of the women li living here with her husband and two kids, quietly going around the room in the dark looking at my things. ¿Qué pasó? I ask her, confused as I lift my head off the pillow and reach across my nightstand to turn on the light. ¿Tú has visto el teléfono de Sebastián? She says, her eyes still scanning around the room. Sebastián's phone? Why would I have seen her six-year-old son's phone? No, yo no lo ha visto, I tell her, turning off my light and laying back in bed. A clear signal to her that I am done with the conversation and she cannot leave. She leaves, slamming the door behind her. I close my eyes and try to go back to sleep. That doesn't last long before she is slamming my door open again. I should really get in the habit of locking that door. Despiértate. Voy a llamar a la policía. Porque el teléfono de él se desapareció y yo no lo encuentro por ningún lado. Y tú eras la última que estaba aquí sola. La última vez que yo vi el teléfono. She yells as she searches through my things. What the fuck? She's seriously going to call the cops? Why would I take a six-year-old's phone? I have the newest iPhone, so why steal a six-year-old's Android? I need to get out of this apartment as soon as possible. Room 1, The Sequel. 
2661 Decatur Avenue, Bronx, New York, January 21st, 2023. I'll forever be grateful to Melissa for getting me out of there. Not only did they call the cops on me after accusing me of stealing a six-year-old's phone, they also accused me of smoking weed, which I don't do, and sneaking men into the house. The men they spoke of me bringing into the house, by the way, were Julian and Tristan, my little brothers. They wanted my aunt to kick me out so bad. Thankfully, Melissa moved and offered me a room to rent in her new house. Funny to think I no longer speak to her anymore either. I grabbed my phone from where I threw it on the bed beside me. Oh shit, 20 minutes have passed. I really gotta go take that shower now. I see a notification from TikTok and lay back down opening the app, ready to enter the rabbit hole that is TikTok. Room four, 50 Gray Street, Pagoda, New Jersey. April 2022 to December 12th, 2022. I sit at my vanity, looking at myself in the mirror, music blasting. My best friend, Kaylin, on FaceTime while I get everything ready to start my makeup. When am I going to be able to visit you and see your room? She asked as I start applying my foundation. Whenever you want, I just have to be sure Melissa's cool with it, I say mindlessly as I tap my beauty blender on my face. Melissa comes into my room then and lays on my bed. Something that I've come to realize means she is hiding from the kids or is about to give them a lecture on something. You need to start cleaning this room more often. There is no reason it should be this messy when it's just you down here. She looks around disapprovingly at my full hamper, the closet I never close, makeup covered vanity, and the bed I refuse to fix in the morning. I roll my eyes at her. It's my room. Technically, no one should be in here. I turn my focus to my room for a second. I worked hard on my room decorating it as I saw fit and ensuring it was a display of me, from the LED lights to the posters I hung up. I was in love with my room. I never had a room I was allowed to decorate on my own, and I made sure to make this room look how I wanted it to. I turned to Melissa. Is he home? I asked her. No, you know he is never home anymore. I don't care anymore. Fuck him, she says. Rafi, my cousin, has become horrid to live with lately picking fights with all of us, staying out until late and getting mad when we aren't home when he finally decides to be home. Melissa gets off my bed and goes upstairs to finish getting the kids ready. Me and Melissa are supposed to be going out for dinner tonight with the kids. Hopefully that still happens. As I'm finishing up my makeup, I hear the sliding door open upstairs and heavy footsteps going to Melissa and Rafi's room. Almost instantly... I hear Melissa's yelling and two sets of running footsteps coming down the stairs to my room in the basement. My seven-year-old niece, Scarlett, and ten-year-old niece, Madison, appear with my one-year-old nephew at the end of the stairwell. I grab my makeup remover. I guess dinner isn't happening anymore. I remove my makeup and climb into bed with the kids, opening Disney Plus and putting on Encanto, raising the volume to drown out the yelling. Here we go again. Room 1, the sequel. 2661 Decatur Avenue, Bronx, New York. January 21st, 2023. I get up from the bed finally, continuing the almost forgotten task of getting ready for my much-needed shower. I miss my room. I miss living in Jersey. I miss my space to do as I please. I miss being able to just lay in bed naked because I could. More than anything, I miss what my room meant to me. It was a symbol of my independence, finally out of my parents' house, able to create my room how I wanted without my mom's opinion for the first time ever. 
No one telling me what to do or questioning my actions and whereabouts. Snap out of it. At least it is better than the hotel. God, don't even remind me of the hotel. Room 5, Hampton Inn, Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. December 12th to Christmas Eve, 2022. I wake up grateful for this day off after a long week of work. I can finally relax. I take a nice long shower, pull on my blanket hoodie and sweats and head to the lobby and make myself a waffle. You gotta love the complimentary breakfast. I grab some snacks for the day and towels from the front desk before heading back up to my room. I tap my key on the card reader and walk into the room, kicking off my slippers and wriggle my toes on the carpeted floor of my room. I throw the towels in the bathroom, my snacks on the TV stand, and bury myself under the cover with my waffle and Dr. Pepper in hand, excited for my day of relaxation. Just me, Netflix, my blanket hoodie, and my waffle. A few hours pass. I have watched eight episodes of Gilmore Girls, taken a nap, and scrolled mindlessly through TikTok. I am bored now and hungry, extremely hungry. I don't have a car, though. This hotel is in the middle of the Route 46 highway. My only options are to call Melissa and see if she is still working and can bring me up some food, order Uber Eats and pay their ridiculous fees, or just eat snacks until I am either full or over it. It is after 5, so Melissa's already home. I have no money on my card, it seems, so snack it is. I go grab my bag of Lay's and eat as many as I can. After eating about half the bag, I am officially over it. Back to Netflix it is, I guess. I make it through two more episodes of Gilmore Girls before the boredom hits again, and it is joined this time not only by hunger once again, but it's about that time where the loneliness kicks in. I look around my empty hotel room and hug my legs to my chest. I FaceTime Kaylin, no answer. Melissa, no answer. My best friend Sean, no answer. Seems everyone is busy. I'm better off going to bed and I'll just eat at work, I tell myself as I try to hold in tears. I hug my pillow and turn off the lights as I allow the tears to stream freely down my face. I just have to go to sleep and it will all be fine. Room 1, the sequel. 2661 Decatur Avenue, Bronx, New York. January 21st, 2023. I grab my towel and finally get myself to the bathroom for my much-needed shower. I have to keep reminding myself, it seems, that I really need this shower today. I don't have my room anymore. Yeah, I share a room with my little brother. Yeah, I'm back at my parents' house after my dad kicked me out in October of 2021. But I'm okay. I made it this far, even if it's not the outcome I hoped for or where I saw myself right now. But I'm okay. I am okay. I will have my own room soon. Wow. Wow. That, is amazing. that was really powerful. Amazing. Love that ending. Love it. Thank yes. you very much. Okay. Hi, Kesley. Thank you for joining us today. And I would like to start at the questions. I really liked your story because I related to it in a number of ways especially the mini monologue you gave in Melissa's house about the liberty and independence that came with finally claiming a space, a room mm -hmm. as your own. I used to have my own room too. It was like yellow and I had my two little birds inside and I'd come home from school. I was in high school and my little routine was like, I put my backpack down, I'd say hi to my birdies. But now oh. that I don't live there anymore. Each time I think of my yellow room, it's just my birds that 
they're dead now, but I, I miss them so much. And um, like that's the thing about rooms and spaces is that they occupy a lot of like material and sentimental value to it. Um, but now I share a room with my 11 year old sister. Now that I share a room with my sister, our belongings interweave within one another and they represent our identities, which fundamentally make up our lives. What were some personal belongings of yours that were consistently kept in each room? Um, did you have any? If not, why not? Um, so one thing, weirdly enough, I carried with me everywhere was my pillow. Mm. I took mm. my pillow to every room I moved to. Also, my sneakers. I'm very attached to my shoes. <laughs> so my <laughs> shoes... My shoes aren't with me everywhere. Like, I have a shoe rack of, like, 60 pair of shoes. And no. I didn't care about my clothes. I cared about the shoes more than anything. The shoes. <laughs> were they, like, so, one like, set? Or was it, like, a multiple shoes you kept with you? I, I literally kept the whole thing. Like, I tore apart the shoe rack. And I threw all the shoes into garbage bags. And I threw the shoe rack into another garbage bag. And I brought it with me with my pillow in hand. So if you had a fire in your house, you would, the first thing you'd take with you were a pair of shoes. I would take my shoes, yeah. I have shoes there like $500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I uh -huh. didn't really, like, I didn't really have too many things. Like, I realized, especially lately, I didn't really have too many things that were mine. Like, a lot of the things I had were, like, shared. But my sneakers, for example, were the first things I ever bought myself. Oh, so it's like it's these like a are mine. Pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like these are mine. I paid for these. I own these. No one bought them for me. Mm -hmm. Totally understand where you're coming from. I definitely need my shoes to be comfortable in case I need to run out the door. I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like especially being in places where it's not your own space. Like you're living in people's houses, renting rooms, and then it's like none of that is yours. But then, like, right. at least I know my shoes are mine. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I read your story, I felt numerous emotions to every single interaction you recited. The most prominent for me was the nostalgia as you flip through different memories. In a technique that we call braiding in creative nonfiction, you make us feel the pains that come along with growing up. Life hasn't been too kind to you in that you gave a taste of having a space of your own and then got it taken away. At the end of your story, the reader feels like you have every reason to be angry with the world, yet you put on a brave face and continue on repeating to yourself that I'm okay. What about consistently moving place to place made you realize this? What lessons has it taught you about you and your own space? So one thing it did do for me was that ownership thing hmm. where it's just like I went to so many places that like I said weren't mine I was living under people's roofs and like one thing my mom always told me in Spanish it is que todo el mundo después de un tiempo lleve, which basically means everyone after a while starts to scream so uh, it's yeah. like even mm -hmm. even like I was paying rent I was unlimited for free but after a while you become bothered and it yeah. like took me a while to like accept like no you're not a bother you're doing what you have to do or, yeah you're back home but like you're gonna get your space soon enough and being where I was it was like I was 
mm-hmm. at a place where I didn't believe that that would happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And then once I came home, it was like, okay, we're back at square one, but like we're we're gonna keep moving, we're gonna keep going. And it also showed me how resilient I truly am. Yeah, I definitely and, saw that throughout the um the story. I just want to commend you for how brave you are for even telling the story. I think it definitely shows like wow that people can get through difficult times if you can. So I want to say thank yeah. you for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. That warmed my heart a little bit. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> it was my cold heart. <laughs> my cold little icy heart got a little broken there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah and I think it just like made me realize that like if I could like get through that like I could really like get through anything and yeah it just made me like push further to like want to do better and like get to the places I want to be and I feel like also that is what kind of made me decide to like take the leap and change my major to English and actually pursue my writing because I was always like so scared of doing it because it wasn't a for sure thing Mm. and like it wasn't like a guaranteed career like it would be like in criminal justice and like computer science and then I was like I'm I'm gonna make do and I'm gonna make the best out of whatever I get so like if this is something I really want to do I'm gonna make sure that like I do things I enjoy from here on out and not just things to make other people happy right you can feel in your piece that your writing comes from passion because it's such a raw piece and it brings the reader into like your exact mindset with very like intentional sentences it's not like you write just to write like you're writing with like impact and notably a piece that got me um in in that respect was when you were getting out of bed in the present day in like 2023 and said at least it is better than the hotel god don't even remind me of the hotel like that sentence moves the story perfectly into the part about the hotel and that loneliness that it brought you and also when you were in melissa's house and you gathered the kids you know to watch encanto to like shield them from the screaming parents and you say like here we go again as to like you didn't say like this happens all the time you said like here we go again it's it's the way that you say things to convey feeling like to show that this was part of your everyday life at the time and then the next segment of the braid and where it almost feels like the memory gives you like a boost to get out of bed in the present day like you go right from like here we go again to like you getting out like uh, as if to like shoo the like thought away like, okay, then we're we're here now. Like you snap back into it and you show the reader why it's like, or listener, why it was like easy for you to get out of bed instead of like just telling us like that helped, you know? And it flows perfectly. Like, so can I ask you, why did you choose to structure the story in this weaving manner? So it was actually really weird. I struggled a lot with the braids. Uh, Chris, Kristen is my witness but I was like literally emailing her like I do not know how to do these braids I do not know how to flow this like easily like I am struggling with this and then she was like she was like telling me like it doesn't have to be where it's like it doesn't have to be where it's so clear that you're switching over 
And mm. I feel like that's what I was stuck on, where I was like, I have to find a way where I like blend everything in. And then mm. I ended up doing that without really meaning to. Like it was unintentionally. Mm. Like I kind of um just wrote my thought out my thoughts out and just wrote like what yeah. I was feeling in the moment because weirdly enough this story was like actually uh like like an exact recount of a moment where I was sitting home reflecting on everything yeah when, mm-hmm. when I was reading it that's exactly what I got from it it sounds like it sounded like you were reflecting in and out and trying to piece together how you got to that very present moment yeah like it was just like like that moment actually happened for me where I was sitting in my room and it was just like kind of like flipping through a photo book of like every room I've been in and everything I dealt with over the past year and just really reflecting on it and it kind of happened because of the fact that I took the creative nonfiction class because I was forced to like really like think about these things and look back at it and I just was like when I was writing it I was like just write it how you were thinking it that's Mm -hmm. why I added those lines like here we go again or like snap out of it or even the um like even the line where I was like I see a notification from TikTok and lay back down like it it was literally like realistically what my mind was like thinking as Mm -hmm. I like had those like flashbacks Mm -hmm. like it was weird. I felt kind of like that's so raven in those moments, but that's literally <laughs> what it was. Like <laughs> for the braiding, I just want to note that, you know, this particular form of braiding, both stories tonight follow like Derricott's bed style, which is like they use a controlling metaphor that like like it's like there was this bed, then there was this bed, then there was this bed. Right. Like, so Jade's is like, there was you know, this situation with cigarettes, then this situation with cigarettes. And then Kessley's like, there was this room, there was this room, there was this room. It's a really cool technique to help you braid multiple episodes of your life together. And we read a couple samples of that, Cassie, in the beginning of the semester, remember? Um, this was yeah. the, of these pieces tonight are like a beautiful take on that style so for anyone listening in that's something that you know if you can if you want to tell the story of your life but you don't know like what you know like how to hinge it or like how to you know you can think of like what was always there like you know was it always apples was it always lockers was it always church like what was there the whole time Mm -hmm. but like you changed or it changed you know it's a cool device if you want to tell a story and you don't know where to start or you know yeah, funny enough, I can admit this now because I'm no longer in the class. I didn't really read any of the readings. <laughs> I didn't really read <laughs> this is a safe other. space. This is a safe space. I completely get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Well, I just want to remind you, Kesley's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Emailing <laughs> me, emailing me. So a reminder that the reason Kesley was emailing me that she didn't know how to do it. <laughs> Was because she didn't read the <laughs> so that I my time to explain the readings. Wow, Kesley, this is funny. In my defense, I was working full time, taking six classes, and I was a full time student, also a full time teacher. I'm just laughing because you you were like you were like I had a lot of trouble with that whatever the thing was, and then I was like oh. oh. 
Yeah, in my in my defense, I I use context clues to help me get ready for like the next <laughs> class. Let me tell you. Well, we talked about the story in class. Yeah, so I would like just get to class and be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn about the reading that I did not read about. I gotta go back. Oh, to okay. I gotta go back to quizzing. <laughs> oh my goodness! Sorry to the future classes. And lastly, what? If anything, would you like the listeners to take away from your story, Kesley? Just honestly, one, not to give up. Mm-hmm. Like, like, when things mm-hmm. get hard, like, don't just give up on anything just because of the fact that things get a little difficult. But also, you're not always going to be in the same place at all times. So, like, don't get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. And especially like don't get too comfortable until it's something that is yours in my opinion like when I go into other people's spaces now I realize I I no longer get as comfortable as I used to I no longer like treat these places like this is my home and I could just do whatever because al final del día after a while everyone everyone's persistent like mm-hmm. so <laughs> But it's also like, don't stop doing what you want to do and change who you are, and change your mindset just because the things around you get tough. Because yeah. throughout all that, I was working full time and try and like I decided to go back to school during all that and was like trying to get myself together and I didn't stop trying to get my life together just because of the fact that I was dealing with everything I did. So I it's have like, to say. You are so strong for that. Like working full time and then going to school—that is like an achievement right there. It's we don't you deserve a medal, like a trophy, everything. I think you deserve everything you want just because of that. Like you're strong. So yeah, it's, for that. it's a struggle. That takes discipline, consistency, so much that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. Yeah, like I realized how much of a toll it takes on you this semester. Because, like, I entered the semester, and I was like, why am I so, like, tired? The semester just started. But it's like, I've been working full-time since, like, before the spring and was taking six classes. Then I jumped into the summer and took two classes. And then I jumped into this semester and took five. And I was like, okay, I have to pick one or the other. So, like, I'm, like, officially on my last week of my job because I put in my two weeks. But I was like, I I need rest, especially if I really do want to, pursue writing as a career and I am like incredibly grateful for it that's one thing I will say too like one thing that got me through all those times was writing I actually wrote a lot while I was like in these rooms and in these spaces I have like journal entries on my iPad just where I would write whether it was about the loneliness I was feeling whether it was about my cousin and girlfriend arguing about everything I would just like write it all out and I feel like that was a big thing that helped me get through it all because I was giving myself an outlet I wasn't just like holding things in and like hoping it changed without like letting anything out I was giving myself healthy outlets and that helped me a lot and yeah I was really grateful when this class started I loved this class I feel like this class is what helped me really like see my skill as a writer because mm-hmm. I feel like Jade and Rihanna and Kristen know, but every time I would share a story, I'd be like, 
It's horrible. Don't read it. Oh. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, I, re I remember in class when you were like, oh, your story gave me inspiration. And then you came out with yours and it was so good. And I was like, yeah, you didn't was. need my inspiration. Like, <laughs> it was so good on its own. Yeah, I remember writing you a letter and I was like, I really loved your story. I was like, there wasn't too much dialogue. It was perfect. I fell in love with it. I was like, oh, I felt like I was in awe. I was like, I, I just loved it. I loved every part about your story. Yeah, it was funny because I've never written a dialogue before up until like this class so I was like literally learning everything as I went and then mm -hmm. like hear, hearing the feedback I would get and hearing like the big things because like I was always my biggest critic when it comes to my writing and I still am and then like hearing like you should be like, everybody should be that's good like hearing hearing all the good like feedback was like Right. Oh crap! Maybe I could I could actually make it in this field. You do have to be hard on yourself and also open to the opinions of others. Hopefully, we'll tell you the truth, and they did. And also, just the way you sort of like approach, you know, everything that's happened, and how you're making it to something that can like inspire others and help others. It takes tremendous strength to do that, and to still like smile and be happy considering everything. It's like it's phenomenal. Thank you. And we hope that you will <laughs> the the audience can't see that Kesley is doing exactly that, putting on that <laughs> smile. <laughs> and when you continue writing and when you come back on the podcast, we will be so happy to intake even more of your written work. And with that, we want to thank you for being here today and for sharing this story with us because it's just good. It is just good. Like, I think we can all, we've all taken so many stories at this point, but we know the ones that are just like, yeah, and this is a yeah. So thank you for being here today, Kesley. Thank you. Thank you thank for you. having me. Thanks, Kesley. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And that concludes our first episode of the eighth season, Finding My Place. We are also excited to bring you these stories. We are honored to continue amplifying voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear from in the creative nonfiction genre. You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get some behind-the-scenes content. We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible. Including our sound engineers and editors, as well as our episode writers, our website developers, everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon and good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.